Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mama Marketer Podcast. I am your host, Olivia, and I am here today with my friend, Matt. Uh, Matt, tell us, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Matt Clark. Uh, you can find me in Overland Park, Kansas, uh, with my my wife and two daughters now. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and a two, two-month-old daughter. Who's so we're, we're... precious. Thank you. <laughs> Keeping quite busy with that, adjusting to to life with uh, multiple children. Yes, so that's that's been very fun. Um, yeah, My... do, and in bit over involved in in other stuff, and and still trying to find time to make all that work. Involved in a side business, a full time job, politics, church. All yes. That good stuff. Yeah, it's funny what you said about adjusting to life with more than one kid because my mom had this phrase going up growing up that she would always say. She would say, one is like none, two is like ten. And it's like <laughs> you got one that makes you feel confident and you're like, I could do this, you know? And then you throw that second kid in there, all of a sudden you're man to man, and it's just like Oh my gosh, it really like, but then, then after two, not that I know, but from friends that have gone on to have like three and four, you know, it's kind of all gravy at that point. <laughs> it kind of just all get tossed <laughs> into the mix. So yeah, two is, two is what changed our mind. We always said we wanted four. And then after that second, we were like, no, bro, this is, this is way harder than it looks with just two. There's no way we're continuing. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like you guys are doing good and you're in that sweet little baby stage. So super jealous. I like count down the days to when I can go visit your baby and my new niece, like when I can get cuddles in. So, um, okay. So tell us about your day job. Uh, my day job is as an airline pilot. So I've been in the airline business for 10 years, 11 years now. Oh it's been almost, almost 11 years um have it's a it's a great job um i get to fly airplanes for a living make good money doing it uh yeah. it's, it's a good it's a good time i'm very blessed to be at a airline well there's lots of ups and downs in the industry uh you know i was facing a furlough threat you know mm. about two years ago yeah. but um i'm one of the lucky people who should be able to spend 30 plus years at a working for the same company and retire from that company. So that's it's something really cool. like my grandpa did from John Deere. Um, mm. That's, it's not something a lot of people get to do, especially in kind of the gig economy of yeah. today, uh, which has a lot of, a lot of advantages, but, but being able to just have, have that consistent employment for, for most likely for decades, we'll see what the next few decades bring, but yeah. um, it's, it's definitely a, a blessing to um, have that, that kind of stability for the most part. Yeah, really cool. And such an interesting um, industry to be in. Uh, I took my youngest, Warren, so he's eight, and I took him to the the Kansas Aviation Museum on Saturday because it's just like one of his favorites. And a couple of things that I thought were funny, he was sitting in, they have like these cockpits that you can sit in from like different mix and models, you know, so the kids get in there and they push all the buttons and they feel like they're pilots. Um and one thing that I thought was funny was in one of them, there was a, a cigarette, like an ashtray, one of those fold out ones right up front next to the pilot seat. And he was like, mom, what is this for? And I, I told him and he was like, oh, you really should not be smoking in an airplane, man. And I was like, no, I, I agree with you. It was just a different time. Um, and then the other thing he was commenting on was like all of the different gauges, all of the different switches. Like he was like, how do you know which which uh like gauge to to check at which 
time. And how do you know how to do all this? And I was like, I literally don't know. <laughs> um, so he might ask you some questions next time he sees you. Cause I was like, you need to ask Matt. Cause I don't know. Um, and then he was like, mom, get in the plane. I'm ready to fly you. And I was like, you've been on that simulator for five minutes. I'm not getting in your plane. You need like years of experience before I'll get in your plane. Um, but it's always fun. Um, okay. So tell us that's your, what we call your, your, uh, nine to five, your, you know, your day job. Um, you have a side business. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, I started a drone company, uh, November, 2020. So I was facing, uh, furlough potentially from from the airline and uh, we worked out this this agreement where they were gonna let us keep our benefits not do a full furlough like had been done for throughout the history of all the other downturns in the airlines uh, and they were going to give us some some pay as well um, in return they would be able to bring us back to the airline a lot faster um, than prescribed in the contract um, so with that little bit of base money and, and getting to keep our our health benefits, um, it seemed like the perfect time to to start up my own business. Um, I knew nothing about drones. I'll admit when I when I started, I knew a lot about aviation, but not a lot about uh, drones. Um, I was somewhat familiar with kind of what an endeavor of starting your own business would look like. My dad worked for himself as a landscape architect for a lot of time growing up and then has been owned a uh, Amish furniture store in Des Moines cool. uh, for the past uh, 15 years or so. So I, I know it's no no small task, but um, to help with that, I found a, a startup franchise group with a lot of other airline and military pilots uh, with a background in professional aviation. Uh, trying to build a national a national brand together. Um, so I, I bought into that franchise group, uh, Blue Nose Aerial Imaging. And so I own the Overland Park, Kansas location of that. Uh, it's the only, yeah, we don't have a lot of other franchisees in the Midwest. We have about 25 across the country now. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of shared experience um, among us. Um, just recently had an Army drone pilot join, join our group. We have uh, GIS, remote sensing scientists, uh, videographers, so lots of resources at the franchise level to kind of help start, uh, help startup entrepreneurs um, start their drone business. So most drone companies out there are one-man shops. Uh, not a lot of one-woman shops either, but <laughs> one-man shop. Um, so, so this I really like the franchise model of of, of building the brand together. Um, and leaning on, on other franchisees um, to um, to fill in the gaps that you have in your own business. So I started that, uh, like I said, November 2020. I was expecting to be out of flying for the airlines for one and a half, two years. Things rebounded really fast, and I was back after six months. Hmm. I was back in training about a month after my first sale. Wow. <laughs> so I knew I could not... Uh, I could not continue this on my own um, without without some help. So I went looking for some people who could uh, help fly for me and a couple uh, uh, friends of ours uh, expressed interest in, in being owners in the company as well. So sold off a percentage of, my, of our company to them, allowed us to, to buy a more advanced drone as well and, uh, and have been building it um, with the three of us um, for the past 
year and a half or so. That's really cool. And so many people listening uh, can relate to a, a, a gap that needed filled in 2020. I know so many people like this, this show, like this platform wouldn't exist without like me getting bored in 2020. <laughs> so, um, and that's, I mean, that's, so I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to that. So one thing that I thought was interesting, so you had already decided that you wanted to do drones before you found the group of like other airline pilots and other people in the industry. Or was it the other way around? Like you found Blue Nose first and then thought, okay, yeah, I could do that. It was it was kind of simultaneous. It was okay. something I, I, I'm an aviation geek and, and read all the aviation news and stuff. And and you can see the drone industry, just the, the, the possibilities are, are limitless for how drones can be integrated into our lives. And just, it, it's, it's an entirely new frontier, um, an entirely new industry. Um, and but I just didn't have any idea on how to get started. So yeah. would I, I probably would not have started my own drone business had it not been for the franchise group. Um, cool. So it really was kind of simultaneous. It helped me see that, that it was a possible, that it was, that it was a possibility where yeah. um, trying to find where you can get this, these different areas of expertise on your own would, would have been daunting. I uh, would have yeah. spent a lot of money paying for different courses Um some of which would have been good, some of which are just complete garbage. Uh, it's it's difficult to tell um, what's what's good and what's not. And so I, I love having the group now. Um, anytime I I would be interested in learning more about that that spectrum of the industry um, and run it by our our drone scientists first and and see if what they're saying uh, has some validity to it. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. That's the a, a differentiator a differentiator of your company versus others. This is not just some guy with a drone that thinks it's fun and figured out it could take pictures. Like you are a pilot, you've got people behind you, you've got other experts behind you. And so, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, and like I said, that's a big, that's a big difference, I think, from what, from what I've seen um, in that industry. I, I have always been curious how much, um, your experience as a pilot of commercial airplanes versus like, I mean, you, you fly, the, the drones are probably bigger than what people would think. I know it was for me when I saw it the first time. Um, but I'm wondering like, how much does that really help you or how much does that really play into it? Uh, your background? Cause I know you said there's also like just photographers, there's different people from different walks of life that are in the business, but you specifically do, do you feel like that really gives you the edge or how similar, I guess, is the two, um, the two vehicles? Yeah. Um, well, not so much on the vehicle side, but first the, the regulatory side, uh, mm -hmm. it, it gives, gives us an edge when it comes to, uh, waivers and the FAA, um, I've, I have no fear of the FAA. Um, I, I understand the regulations, so I, I'm not going to run, I'm not going to run a riot them. Um, so a lot of people get intimidated by the FAA. They get restricted by, in, intimidated by restricted airspace or, or by operations over, over people or any of the different operations at night, some of the different waivers that, that have to be done. Um, uh, applying for a waiver to fly 200 drones at once that it would just, it just scares a lot of people off. They're not even going to try um, be, because of that intimidation. So that, that gives us a leg up. Um, as far as the operation side of it, uh, I mean, flying the, the aircraft itself is not, um, not, not a lot of similarities, but uh, understanding the, the 
processes and procedures, um, the ability to, to take a operations manual and read it once through and digest it and pull yeah. the information out of it that you need and not just kind of gloss over um, yeah. all the information in there. Um, so I think a lot of that is is definitely a lot easier um, yep. with my background. Uh, it's kind of where a lot of our business focus has been, has been on um, trying to provide some expertise on on how do you scale up an operation. Uh, we're, we're hoping to hire six pilots uh, across Kansas and, and maybe up in Iowa and Nebraska this summer uh, for agriculture mapping operations. And so I understand I've been in good flight departments. I've been in bad flight departments. I know what what kind of policies and procedures behind the scenes need to be in place to to scale things up successfully. Um, so that that kind of knowledge is kind of what's it's what's separating us and what makes us professional pilots versus just uh, just licensed Obvious. and insured pilots. Yes, yeah. yeah. I remember you're reminding me of something. So back when I lived in Texas and was working in marketing full time, um, I worked with a lot of real estate agents, residential, commercial. And um, I remember there being this shift where it used to be very easy. Anybody that happened to have a drone or or a uh, I remember I uh, had one one guy that wouldn't use drones. He would he had a buddy with a bucket truck and he would use a bucket truck truck to go up and get aerial images like it, it used to not be a thing for however you were able to get your aerial images of your your real estate property. You know, we're not talking surveys. We're just talking aerial images for you to show, you know, your land. And then I remember there being a shift where all of a sudden it was regulated a specific drone person with like a resident with a with a real estate license or something a certificate had to be the one all of a sudden to take these aerial shots and I remember it being a huge thing of course as the marketing person so many of these people came to me and were like oh do you know someone can you and I was like no <laughs> I don't um but yeah I remember that shift so has that trend of this of the drone industry continuing to be more and more regulated has it continued or do you feel like it's fully reasonable or how difficult is that? I know you're used to it, but just like in general, can you tell us if it's um, regulated a lot because it's new or is it new enough that not quite yet or where is it on that spectrum? It's it's still definitely over-regulated. The, the regulations are easing a little bit as the FAA starts to wrap its head around how to integrate drones into, into the national airspace system. They they're a giant government bureaucracy and they move really slow. Um, they're, they're very heavy in uh, airplane pilot experience. And so when it comes to these new industries and integrating new, new types of drones uh, with different capabilities in, in all sorts of different use cases where, where people were not using any sort of flying vehicle for them before, uh, they approach it very, very cautiously. Um, right. They're they're finally starting to get things figured out. Uh, I think it was last April, maybe it was two, maybe it was two Aprils ago. They significantly reduced the um, or increased the privileges, I guess, of your certificate. Um, for example, with your commercial uh, uh, drone operator certificate, you could uh, fly at night now without a waiver. But or as before, you had to apply for a specific waiver to fly commercially at night. Um, so like I was. Just recently able to film a, a holiday light commercial for a commercial uh, cool. building company. And uh, that would have required a specific waiver before. But now I was able to just do that with um, under the privileges of of the certificate. So th they are reducing regulations. Um, 
or I shouldn't say reducing. They're they're making uh they're fine tuning them. It sounds like as... privileges a little more accessible. Yeah. Than they were before. Um, they're just starting to. They just recently, in I think October, approved the first uh, waiver for operations beyond visual line of sight, which mm. is kind of the next big frontier. Um, all the drones, you have to be able to see them, or mm. you have to be within line of sight of them. Uh, you can't fly them over the horizon, um, anything like that, um, unless you have multiple people along the route and you're transferring control of the drone from one person from yourself, then a mile and a half later to someone else down the road. Um, so that's going to open up massive new frontiers. It could be something we use in the agriculture field. Um, it's it's something that uh, will be heavy in pipeline and infrastructure inspections uh, and, and that type of thing. So, um, but yeah, if the FAA could could hurry this up at all, it would uh, <laughs> uh, unleash a lot of economic uh, well, yeah. economic boom. But I do appreciate them trying to keep the airspace system safe um, so that I don't have people flying into my jet. <laughs> is it um that that actually is interesting is you're gonna you see both sides of it you see like you know as a as a commercial pilot you see the dangers of someone not using their drone properly so yeah that's really interesting um it sounds like it's mostly federal regulations are you seeing any like state county local regulations on this or no uh we are seeing some um, they don't really have a lot of validity, but until someone challenges them through the court. Um, so a lot of these local municipalities will try to do some sort of power grab. Mm. Uh, states are as well. But I mean, historically, airspace has is, is been a federally regulated thing since the since the dawn of aviation in this country. Mm. And there there's the the fight that is happening in some local municipalities or state level municipalities um, is, is the same fight that, that was had in the, the 1920s. Mm. Um, ultimately, we the federal need- government one out um but with drones we're, we're we're starting that same same argument again um in this industry which it's almost like we don't have to revisit that right like we could maybe just leave it with one <laughs> governing body instead of a bunch of them um okay so i have two more questions as it relates to your drone business one of the, the first one is what does your what is your ideal customer look like or what 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 does a potential customer look like for you uh, we're in a lot of different fields, but, uh, uh one, that's kind of what I wanted to touch on. I really, yeah. yeah what, one part I really enjoy is doing uh, marketing footage. So whether that's, you know, commercial real estate, um, the holiday lighting commercial that we did, uh, recently. So anything outdoor, anything that, that can have footage, uh, uh, aerial footage can, can help promote your, your business or your event and that type of thing. Um, we, we love to, to kind of get into our artistic side a little bit and, and do some of that photography work. Um, the other main vertical, two other main verticals. So marketing, uh, construction and agriculture are, are kind of the other main areas. So a lot of, uh, progress, progress photos, uh, orthomosaic mapping of construction sites, uh, to help track, uh, not just progress, but doing safety audits, um, all, all that type of work, volumetrics, lots of mm. uh, lots of scientific stuff the construction industry can pull out. Um, and in agriculture, uh, crop health analysis is is big using multispectral imaging. Um, so farmers, co-ops, uh, golf courses, mm. uh, all these different p- types of uh, industries, anything with a plant, we can find some sort of uh, vegetation indice to kind of help give an inside look at the at the health of the plant um, in a way that 
has not really been done done before. It's been done with airplanes in the past. Uh, the, the imaging that we're getting now uh, can be done for cheaper than airplanes at, oh. at much much higher resolution and can be tailored to specific crops, to specific types of grass, to your vineyards, to your orchards, mm. uh, all that all that type of stuff. So uh, marketing, construction, and agriculture are, are the three main uh, clients that Very we're working cool. with. Very cool. That is so cool. Um, from a marketing perspective, I definitely just want to share, um, if you have a brick and mortar business and have not considered uh, drone footage of, you know, the outside, that is so cool on videos, on commercials, that type of thing. Definitely don't discount it as a really cool piece of marketing. Also for events, whether it's like weddings or festivals or fundraisers, or like we have an event that you're actually going to be working on, we'll pitch at the end. I mean, don't underestimate uh drone footage and how it can help you market your event, uh, especially if it's a yearly event, you can get drone footage this year and then use it to market next year. So, um, so yeah, of course, all about it. Of course, my brain perks up at the marketing stuff. Um, so my last question on the drone business is what is something that you would want people to know about your entrepreneur journey so far, whether that's industry specific or just specific to you as a dad who has a day job and doing this passion project that is a legitimate business and is only going to grow from here. What is something that you want, like a, a real thing that you feel like you wish maybe someone told you before you started? What is that authentic piece of advice you'd want people to know? Well, you know, I was perfectly happy sitting in the right side of the airplane making an hourly wage for a living. I didn't understand why all these other pilots had had side jobs and why why they would spend all their any other off time or their time on overnights doing doing all this other work. Um, but I, I really found it fulfilling as as the business has done better than than I anticipated and we're looking to hire people. Um it's Creating jobs is, mm. is not something I ever thought I'd be in the business of, of doing. Right. Um, I was I was perfectly content um, with a really good, good and fun job. Um, it's it's definitely really fulfilling to to try to provide job opportunities. And um, we're not quite there yet. But as we continue to, to grow, uh, one of our kind of shared goals is, is trying to create job opportunities for uh, people that don't necessarily have a lot of good job opportunities out there. Um, so, uh, creating jobs for people, uh, in prison reentry, uh, that mm. type of thing is something, um, well, maybe not immediate reentry, but, uh, down, yeah. down the road, we have some federal regulations to deal with on, on that front, yeah. but, um, um, it's, it's just really satisfying, fulfilling to, to, to be a job creator. So that was not yeah. something I anticipated. Yeah. And I am definitely going to include um, like your email in the show notes because it's about to be summer and you mentioned it. You're going to be hiring up to six seasonal employees, it sounds like, um, in the area. So I will definitely, as people are listening to this, if you know someone, um, you know, you're, you're willing to train and teach and there's obviously certifications and stuff, but I imagine you'll work with them on that. So for someone... Um, looking for a, a part-time gig or looking for even a side gig. I mean, it's such a, it's such a fun thing to do. And I feel like a lot of people could realistically, if they looked at it, work it into their lives, their schedules and, and do pretty good work for pretty good money over the summer. I know like my own kid who's not quite old enough yet was like, mom, make it happen. So I'm like, you gotta be legal. Um, and even Dean is like, my husband's like, could I do this like outside of my other job? And I'm like, well, probably, uh, but I got projects for you, sir. Um, but anybody else, <laughs> anybody else, <laughs> it's a good gig. 
Um, okay. So that was really good. I want to switch gears into, um, I always get the question. I'm really big on my podcast, not just like booking, you know, big celebrities or like people that I don't personally know in real life. I literally want people just to meet my friends. Right. So, um, we met through our work with the libertarian party of Kansas. Um, Matt is our candidate. Um, no, no, no. Our, what's your, our political director and I'm the marketing director. And we met, is it three years ago now? I always count Manhattan convention as when we met two uh, what it was, I mean, we started working together right after the November 2020 election. Right. So okay. I so ran yeah. for office in 2020, and um, I don't know that we interacted during the campaign season at all. But when um, when Ned uh, Kelly, the chair of the party at the time, started to to put together an operations team, I think you, me, and Allison were the first. Uh, yeah. The first three. So yeah. it would have so- been probably December 2020. Yeah. So it is, it is going on, on three years. And yeah, during 2020, I didn't work on any individual elections because I just worked on Joe's presidential election. So that makes total sense. And then Ned and Mary kind of brought us all over. So, um, so yeah, so I want to talk today. Um, I'm doing this series where I'm interviewing all of my libertarian friends and, and obviously if everybody listened to the last episode, this is a totally different episode than that. Um, what I'm trying to show is how within the libertarian party, we have people from all walks of life, all worldviews, different beliefs, but we are existing in a party that believes that we can actually all have different thinking um, and be able to coexist together. So, um, so first tell me uh, what, why are you a libertarian? Like everyone has a story about that moment, whether it's like a Ron Paul moment or a Gary Johnson moment, like a person or a moment that brought you into the party and made you like fully commit. What, what is the reason you're a libertarian? I think it was the 2016 Gary Johnson campaign was the first time that I voted libertarian and and be, started to get on board. Uh, 2018 was the first uh, state convention I went to and and was starting to consider being being active in the party. Uh, what kind of drove me towards the kind of limited government libertarian thought train was was really starting to see uh, how Christianity acts or interacts with with the government. Um, it was just starting to not make a lot of sense to me that we were trying to institute some Christian values through the through the law mm. um, and trying to force the the certain certain Christian beliefs um, on other people through through the government. And I guess what didn't really make sense to me was, well, I, at the same time, I saw Christianity is declining in, mm. in the country uh, at a really rapid pace. Yep. And if we are continuing to try to institute Christianity through the government and we're losing the number of Christians we have, that's not going to be a very successful track. Right. And if we accept that the party in power has the authority to institute their value system upon other people. Mm. I don't know that I'm going to like what value system gets thrust upon me mm. by the Democrats or the progressives or, or, um, or still the Republicans. Mm. Um, so it, that's part of what started to 
put some chinks in the armor of of, of questioning the the two party system. I'd I'd voted Republican, voted Democrat. I'd been you know grew up in Iowa. Campaign season never stops. Um, you get to see you know my first campaign event was a John McCain event. You know, like a couple blocks from my house uh, type of thing. Um, I liked him. I was eighteen. You know, <laughs> he he was a pilot. That's a, <laughs> we had a lot in common there. But um, so it just just kind of having this realization that that we we should not be instituting our values through the government. Um, yes. Because uh, uh, especially with the numbers we have, uh, <laughs> especially cool. then, that it's just not going to it's 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 not going to it's not going to work. And the more you try to force people to do something, uh, as a you know father of a toddler, um, I fully <laughs> understand. It's only going to make them more resistant. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am definitely with you on that. I still think to this day, I get very confused with Christians that are part of a political party that insists on one way of life, but so so far that they want to legalize their way of life because not once in the Bible, when Jesus was asking for followers, did he say, go and make it law, go and go and make it illegal to not follow me. Like he, a big, a big saying in the Libertarian Party is good ideas don't require force. And he was the ultimate <laughs> example of that. He was not going to force anyone to follow him. Like it, he gave us the free will to do so. Um, I don't know if, if I can't remember if I told you the story about when I went to church last time I was in Overland Park and the, the preacher uh, was saying something about like, oh, we're not like Republicans or Democrats or like those libertarians who think that everybody should just do what they want. And of course I was there with our friend who's a libertarian and we just kind of looked at each other and, you know, kind of made a note to behave and talk about it later. And what was so interesting about that was, yes, okay, let's assume we win. Let's assume libertarian ideas win. We're a libertarian country tomorrow. Everyone gets to do as they please. Why is that a bad thing? Because statistically speaking, if everyone gets to choose a large amount of people, maybe even more to your point, maybe even more people would actually choose to follow Christ. Like, you can't just assume Absolutely. they 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 think libertarianism equals like anarchy and and like we talked on the last episode they think that that equals like riots and fighting and chaos but that no that that is what some people would choose surely but a lot of people i believe would would still choose to believe in the lord um so it's it's interesting yeah, to me it, it just brings to mind uh had it highlighted here first peter 2 16 to 17 live as free people but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil live Ooh. as god's slaves show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers fear god honor the emperor um Ooh. which is, is one of those verses that, that we struggle with as christians sometimes uh same with romans 13 um i really enjoy all the the work uh the christian libertarian institute has has put together on on romans 13 and similar verses um, there's some great stuff on the book of Kings podcast as well on, on kind of what the historical view of, of the people in Jesus's times, um, how they viewed authority, um, right. differs from how we read that verse in, in a modern context. Um, and, and maybe it doesn't mean what it, it, we think it means at first reading, um, right. but yeah, it, like you said, everything 
if if God gave us free will, and He can trust us with that, He loves us more than anything than anyone else, more than we can comprehend. And if He can give us free will, then you know what? Maybe I can trust my neighbor, yeah, a little bit more than I do. Maybe I yeah. can I can trust them to own a chicken or. To have <laughs> or, some cannabis if they need it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I loved, okay, you're going to have to send me what that verse was. It was a, um, I didn't catch it, but the verse that you read, send it to me so I can put it in the notes. And just because I really liked it. What's interesting to me is what was the last thing on that list? What is the last part of that verse? Honor the emperor. The last thing on the list is to honor the emperor and honor the emperor does not mean to to bow down and give him more power. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean to that that you engage the emperor in <laughs> whatever it is you're trying to do for the Lord. I think that's super interesting that it's last on the list. And I think that a lot of people, there are other verses that say, like the, the big one I always hear is given to Caesar. Yes, yeah, it does say that. But that means like, I don't know that it does. It doesn't mean what you think it means when you actually look at it in the grand context of things. Um, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it says honor the emperor. It does not say worship the emperor. And, exactly. Uh, in modern American politics, uh, especially in the Christian community, for some reason, we we see. I just feel like we see a worship of of the state. Um, yes. And for a lot of people that are outside of Christianity, like their their new religion is. I mean, they, they worship. They worship the state. They worship the power of of mm -hmm. the government in in this country, and uh, it's definitely it's definitely become an idol for for a lot of people. It seems like. And I do not understand how they can think that the Bible means that because hello, if it was honor the king or honor the emperor, it wouldn't be the American president. It wouldn't be our country <laughs> that that it meant. I mean, just yeah, it it's interesting how people misinterpret. Um, okay, so yeah. I wanted to ask, just continuing our conversation about Christianity and how I feel like it is a good complement to um libertarianism. I know that you agree, but can you tell me from your perspective, um, how do you feel like the two fit together well? How do you feel like being a libertarian as your political party complements your belief system well with being a christian uh i think the libertarian party and philosophy um can be a, a very compassionate uh viewpoint philosophy uh or a political party um you know i, I wouldn't say that i necessarily subscribe to the libertarian philosophy a lot of people use it as as a philosophy as well i try to keep my philosophy my worldview in a in a biblically centered mm. uh viewpoint um but i i just feel like we can most easily spread christ's message uh we can most easily demonstrate uh our christian lives in a free society. As I say that, I think of uh, an article I'd recently seen about the, the massive spread of Christianity in China through oppression, though, as a nice counterpoint mm. to my own my own mm. point there. Uh, <laughs> just, this is the incredible way that, that, that God can work, even when there is just this massively oppressive government that's trying to stamp out Christianity yeah. and, and to see it just 
flourish, not, not, I wouldn't say flourish, but to spread, spread widely in the midst of that, that despair. Yeah. Um, it was incredible to see in China, but um, I, I do think that it would be easiest for us to, to demonstrate our, um, li live out our, our calling um, yes. with as little government interference as possible. When yes. we have government regulations that prevent you from giving money to people asking for money on the side of the street, mm -hmm. that prevent those people from being at the side of the street, turning them to criminals for being homeless, mm -hmm. uh, when they prevent you from handing out food yep. um, uh, to homeless without, a, without it being cooked in a licensed kitchen first, mm -hmm. um, when, when government takes 40% of your income that you'd like to do like you would like to do something good with and you're forced to fund uh the prison system the military industrial complex instead mm -hmm. um i just i, I yeah. try to be we, we try to live a very generous lifestyle um and just think how much more good we could do with the income we have if we right. weren't giving so much of it to the <laughs> to the government um yeah. uh, just in the business the more the people I could employ in the drone business if it weren't for a few federal regulations prohibiting me from employing certain types of people with certain backgrounds, yes. uh, regardless of if they are rehabilitated or not, I won't be able to employ them until they're seven years off of probation. Seven um, years think, off probation. Uh, it's not an exact quote, but it's something that could like be that. like yeah. a decade before you can hire them. That's crazy. Yeah. Ugh. That's, that's what gets me is that people current Christians, we'll just say it, current Republican Christians, they just don't, okay, that's not fair. I'll, I'll, I'll reject that. But what, what gets me the most is that a lot of my Christian friends don't realize how far off current legislation is from what we should be doing as followers of Christ. Like, it's not just that I think this is a better version of it. It's not just that, you know, I think it's easier to to share and be an example in in this party i it's 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 that they're doing so much wrong already like for all of the things that you just listed and it's like i don't know how they can continue to get behind the old school parties with what they're doing with how i mean they're doing things in direct conflict with how the lord wanted us to live and yet they still back them and that that's one thing that i still don't have an answer for i still don't understand why people continue to to see those as options you know and it's it's yeah, very I similar think, go ahead no i, I think so, so many republicans don't so many people in politics that they don't see um they they only see what government is trying to do mm -hmm. and not what it's actually doing Exactly. Um, when it comes to the war on drugs, yes, they're trying to improve people's lives by by elim by by eliminating drug addiction. Mm -hmm. But they're going to do that through through government force, which of course hasn't worked. And racist um, policies, proven racist policies. Yeah. Um, it, or you know, so so you, you kind of see, yeah, Republicans kind of want to use government force to stamp out vices in in society. Not not all of them. Just some of them, mm -hmm. not not their favorite sins, right? No, no. Yeah. Th those are not those are not illegal. We're not going to put you in jail. Um, although they they keep proposing more and more that I never thought I'd see them <laughs> propose lately. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're becoming a little bit more consistent in that front with some of the things I've seen them trying to ban. 
But um, and then you know a lot of, on the Democrat side, they see they're trying to do a lot of good um, by they're trying to help people um, with these all these different social programs. But they mm-hmm. um, they 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 fail to see how much harm is being done in in achieving that goal, and and they fail to to envision how how much more we could we could help each other um if we didn't have to give so much of our 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 finances back to the government um it's supposed to be like what 10 percent? that's what the bible verse says about your first your uh is it uh what am i thinking of it's either the first fruits or where it says to leave part of your field not to harvest the whole field so that people that need the food can come and get it. It's 10%. It's not 70%. It's not, it's not the current <laughs> tax rate, guys. It's not, this is not giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. This is Caesar is being greedy and taking 60% more than he should, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the difference. Um, I was gonna say one thing before I move on to like my list of kind of like rapid fire topics I want to talk about with you. Um, I think we all We've all had the like baby libertarian. I say we, those of us that have been libertarians for a while have all had the baby libertarian come to us and be like, how do I make this case? How do I like, how do I talk about this with people? What, what do I do? Right. We, we had this question just the other day from uh, a kid younger than us here in uh, Kansas and uh, just getting used to libertarian ideas and wanting to know how to like defend them. Right. And what I told him was that it's very similar to the way that I believe you can spread the Christian message is, you know, one, you're not going to, you're not going to convert anyone in one conversation. You have to plant seeds all along the way until they come to that realization themselves, right? That's not on us to do. There's a higher power that does that. So one is knowing that. And then two, it's about, it's about the life that you're living. It's about the example that you are giving them that they will see the Lord or the libertarian message or whatever it is through the life that you're living. And I don't know, to me, it's just, it's just eerie how similar those two things work and how they can work. And you mentioned earlier about how it's an empathetic party. And I think that we lose a lot of people from our party when the first person they meet is like the crazy uncle libertarian with like the bazooka gun and, and, you know, like love him. He can, he has every right to do that. But uh, some people don't see the empathy and even some of our biggest like libertarian celebrities, like they forget the empathy message. And what I try to get people to understand is like the very core of our party exists a coexistence between people that are different. And we, that's not going to happen if we don't all have a base of empathy in us. Right. Like if we don't have a default of coming from empathy and forgiveness and grace, we're not going to work <laughs> as a party. Like it's going to yeah. fail. We have to have grace for the people that think differently than us. We're not the party that thinks everyone think the same. Right. We we believe that we agree with oh. that. And the only way that happens is with some things that I only know and I'm only capable of because of Jesus and my relationship with the church. Um, So really, really good points there. Um, Okay. So I want to just kind of go through some topics and get kind of like your perspective, either from a Christian libertarian perspective, Um, we'll kind of bounce around. Um, We'll just spend like a few minutes on each, but um, the first one, 
I want to talk about you and I are both passionate with ju- about justice reform. And um, one thing that's going on here in Kansas is all this news with like the death penalty. So um, I looked it up the other day. I was actually surprised how many states do still have the death penalty. It was more than I thought. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit from a Christian perspective. I know I have my opinions. I think we agree on this, but I just, I want to hear from your perspective why why we do not believe in the death penalty as Christian libertarians, as libertarians, as Christians, it can be separate, it can be together, but why we don't believe in it. Yeah, I, I think from a Christian perspective, so yeah, um, since my wife and I got married, we've uh, been going to a Lutheran Lutheran church. She grew up in the, the LCMS Lutheran church. I grew up in the Catholic church. Um, so that, that's kind of our, the Christian background and viewpoints that, that we come from. Um, so I, I think it was, it was when I was in school. It might have been in uh, middle school or or high school. I believe the the Catholic uh, catechism actually changed their stance on the death penalty. Um, it's it had been viewed as as a biblically acceptable means of punishment, um, and there's a lot of uh, biblical evidence to to back up that it's it's it can be a moral a moral thing. But the, the if I recall right, the Catholic Church's stance was that. Um, with the the modern prison system, we we can safely contain people who are a genuine threat to the public, mm-hmm. um, and to truly value human life from you know conception to death, you need um, you should not take away an opportunity for them to um, for them to find God. Mm-hmm. So if we're if we're choosing to end their life early, um, it, it's it's not valuing the dignity of, of, of human life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that made, made a lot of sense to me, um, especially in, in the U S um, if, if people, what, why are we detaining people? We're detaining them so that they don't go out and hurt or kill other people. Mm-hmm. Um, when we detain people, they're, they're not escaping. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it does not do us. Uh, the death penalty is just a, a punishment at that point, mm-hmm. which a there's a lot of science to show that it doesn't um, it doesn't actually deter anything. It doesn't mm-hmm. make most victims' uh, families feel any better about it. Yeah, there um, are. It just takes away another another life. Yeah, I uh, attended a conference and actually heard from victims of pretty bad events, their families. There, the, it is the the evidence that it doesn't actually heal them that it doesn't actually promote forgiveness. It doesn't actually promote justice. The evidence is all there, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't help at all. And like our friend Al said, it is not a deterrent in a hundred percent of murders. If it was yeah. a deterrent, then there would be no murders in the States that yeah. have the death penalty. And I'm right there along with you. My conviction on this is a really good point about how like prison breaks aren't really like a thing anymore. So we don't really have to like, hang them in the town square so that they don't continue their crimes like we've got pretty secure of prisons and in in libertopia prisons are only for the worst of criminals right so i always get people that are like well prisons are full so we might as well get rid of the worst no no that's backwards we should get rid of the cannabis offenders and other things and, yes. and keep it for just the rapists and murderists. And then, then we can, I don't care. We can keep them in there forever. That's fine. I, you'll take my money for that. Okay. That's fine. That's how it should work. But from a redemptive standpoint, how many stories do we know 
of people in jail for the most heinous of crimes or even some of the lesser crimes and they find Jesus. So as mm-hmm. Christians, because both Matt and I, I'll just say that for both of us, we are Christians first before we are libertarians. To me, the work that we do is not easy. And I can't tell you how many times I've been like, I am so glad this party is not my identity. My identity first and foremost is in Christ. And that's like a really good thing. <laughs> um, but if, if that's true, for anybody else listening or any other Christians out there, I challenge you that if that is true, if your Christian identity outweighs your political identity or your anger or disgust for a crime that happened, how can you possibly be behind killing them? Because it is possible for them, it is possible for the Holy Spirit to reach them in prison. It is not possible for that to happen once they are dead. How can any of us be comfortable taking their life off the table? Like it's not yeah, eye for an yeah. eye that we're living anymore. Um, and also just too, when you look at the stats on the on the judicial system that's putting them in prison in the first place, and you see how it's affecting more black and brown people. And just like, there are people that are, I mean, there's a whole documentary that I watched about people 4%. that- Yes. Yeah. Four percent are innocent. Um, yes. We've, we've exonerated over 130 people on death row um, yes. in the past 60 years or so. Um, yeah, so we have a four percent error rate. So, uh, you know, the, there, there's a legitimate Christian discussion to be had on on the morality of the death penalty. Yes. And um, but I do know that it is not moral to put someone to death who did not commit a capital crime. Yes. Um, if just to one... put to death an innocent person, yes, um, is is justification to to just get rid of the whole system. If just one person one innocent person gets murdered, then we have become the murderers. We are no better than them. We're actively part of a system, unless we're working to stop it like you and I are, you're part of a system of murdering innocent people. And people will be like, oh, but there's cases where there's like irrevocable evidence, no remorse, you know, that they they did it. And it's like, there's so many cases where people, I saw like I was going to say a whole documentary where people actually admit to crimes that they've done because of the way that the police officers just like psychology behind like getting people mm-hmm. to, you know, so it's like the system is rigged already. We can't possibly like, why would you knowing that? Why, why would you think that's okay? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think we're in agreement on that one. Um, there actually are bills in Kansas right now to end the death penalty. So if you're liking what we're saying and you are feeling convicted on that and you live in Kansas, look up your legislator email the governor's office, like seriously ask them to, 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 act, to actually take action on this and pass one or both of those bills. Um, okay. The next thing I want to talk about is you listened to a podcast I sent you beforehand about what's happening at Asbury college in Kentucky, I believe. Um, yeah, it looks like it's outside of Lexington. Yes. So what are I personally, when I listened to, I will share this in the show notes, but I listened to Jenny Allen's podcast where she actually talked about like sh- how it started, interviewed the pastor that gave the message that night. Um, and I listened to clips of it. And basically what happened for anybody that doesn't know, this would have been last Wednesday evening, this college had their regular Wednesday night service. And the guy, the pastor even said it wasn't a great service. It was unremarkable from what he said. And then <laughs> afterwards a few people stayed to worship and pray and then they just never stopped and we're going on 13 days where they are still and and when i was listening to the clips i got so emotional because i've been to conferences i go to a church with the with fancy 
you know, stage and tech and everything, but that's not what's happening there. What's happening there is just like people with whatever instrument they can find just worshiping. And it just like, it really overcame me. I cried a little bit and it's crazy that it's still going on. I just read an article this morning that so many people are coming to this town to worship that the, the city was kind of asking them to break it up. And so basically what they said is like, we're not going to stop, but we're going to start making smaller, smaller groups around, which is exactly how, which is exactly how this should work. This is exactly how a revival should work is we should be starting our own. It should kind of ignite, you know, throughout the country. So I'm just cu- curious as another Christian, I, I, it seems like my feed on social is split between Christians being like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is powerful. Like, I don't know what it is, but it, it feels important. And other Christians being like, ew, no, that that's not real. <laughs> so I'm just curious, another Christian's perspective, what you think on it. Yeah. Well, I had never heard of a revival before, like two weeks ago when this, when this thing started popping up on social media. So, uh, I, I don't know what, what denominations, uh, uh, the whole re- idea of a revival is popular in, but, um, I, I don't know that I'd ever heard it in a Catholic Lutheran, Lutheran background. Um, so I, I was definitely a bit skeptical. Um, I've listened to some of the, watched some of the videos and listened to the podcasts and, um, it's, it, you can you can see God at work at that place, and that's that's special to see. Um, I I think I'm most encouraged by what you just said, in that they're starting to break this up into smaller mm-hmm. smaller places, um, which is what we're kind of instructed to to do, right? That yeah. sounds sounds familiar. Yes, um, yeah. Appoint certain people to to do different things within the the mission. So um, it's. My main concern with it is that people are going to be, they're going to experience a massive high mm-hmm. that week. Yeah. So if you know, if you know people that are, are going, that are getting inspired by by this type of thing, um, that, that high is going to wear off. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you think of uh, different retreats, maybe you've been on, maybe in yeah. high school, it was the Kairos retreat for me in the Catholic school system. Um, maybe it's, you know, an adult retreat. Um, you, you get a high, you feel, you feel the power of the Holy Spirit and, and you just feel God present in your life and these types of events. And then what happens after that? You right. know, you, if you're just chasing the high, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to last. Yeah. Um, so especially if there's new Christians in the people that are new to Christianity, um, at this event, I, I hope that there's, uh, the experienced Christians, um, who who have been on this journey a while mm-hmm. that are are there to identify those people, pick them up, and and uh, and continue to help keep their their newfound faith strong, yes. um, to help them understand it more and understand how it applies to your life. What does what does it look like to truly accept Jesus in your life? Right. It's it's an incredibly powerful moment to go up there in front of a bunch of people and say, you know, confess your sins like some people were doing and say, I reject it. Um, I, I give my heart to Jesus and then, you know what, in six months when they fall back on that, on that favorite sin, uh, what's good, what's going to happen with them? Um, yeah. so uh, my prayer would just be that these people, uh, the people that are really experiencing that, that, that the experienced Christians among them, um, don't let the, the high is going to fade, but don't right. let the, the momentum fade. Yes. Yeah. So 
I'm rem- I'm I'm feeling called to to give the advice. This is a good prayer and we should all be praying it. But I but what I'm reminded of is the advice that I give. So I I do weddings and I work with brides and the advice that I give a bride that's hired me or even just a friend that's getting married is I tell them like this is not your happy ending. This is where the real work begins. This yeah. is where it gets real. This is just one day. This it's an important day. Mark the day, but don't let this ride off into the sunset and be your happy ending because it, it's gonna it's gonna get real in a good way, bad way, everything in between. This is where the work starts. So yeah, we definitely should pray that those people come back to their home churches and find their mentors. the The truth of it is, probably a lot of them don't have strong Christians around them, right? Like youth yeah. of the Gen Z left the traditional churches of our parents and they're finding these homes and and yeah we just need to pray that they that they find people to walk together or maybe it's a group of them that just stays together that that stays together and walks together after going back to their real lives like that's that's fair that is definitely something i'm adding to my prayer list is that they they uh they continue with it and that they find people to walk with because that makes all the difference. Um, okay. So yeah, everybody, if you're interested in the Asbury stuff, I'll link to at least one podcast, but literally just look online because there's more than one stream at this point now of people hosting it. So we'll, we'll see how long they go. Okay. So now switching gears to a libertarian topic today is president's day. Um, not something I really celebrate, but, um, we had an announcement for, uh, a guy that we have met, a guy that we like, Jacob Hornberger, announced that he is going to be running for, uh, he's trying to get the party's nomination for 2024. Just last week, I watched a presidential debate that had maybe like four other candidates. So I think it was Chase Oliver, Mike Termott, Jason Rodriguez, and Lars Hampstead. And now we have Jacob Hornberger in the mix. So probably most people listening if they're not libertarians, don't know any of those names, but I'm just curious what you think about Hornberger's announcement and just kind of what you think of the mix of people right now. Is it like too early for us to get invested in anybody? Like, what do you think in general about uh libertarian presidential race for 2024? Yeah. Um, I keep an eye on it. Um, I, I think Hornberger will be an important voice to have in the, in the, uh, in the party, uh, in the presidential uh, kind of seeing where where I anticipate the presidential race for 2024 going. Um, he's um, he has a very principled, unwavering approach to libertarianism, and will call out anything that that he sees that doesn't doesn't fit that. So I think that'll be an important voice um, in, in the race. Um, he's. He's not my my favorite presidential candidate of the, of the bunch so far. Um, I I hope we have a at least one more entrant into the into the race who I would I would go all out for. Um, I hope we're but, talking about the same person. No, well, I think we are. I think <laughs> we are. A very tall person. Very tall. Very tall person. So cute. I mean, what? <laughs> um, yeah. So no, I, I I'm I'm glad he's he's jumping in the race. Um, it's. Yeah. Well, I don't. I can edit this part. I don't want to. I don't want to bash the a whole whole group here. But right, I... um, it's uh, uh, it'll be important for a lot of people in our party to um, yes to hear his message again in twenty twenty four. Yeah, uh, which is going to be the same message as it was in twenty twenty. Um, when he when, didn't get it, when a lot of people got a lot of when a lot of people supported him, he had a 
a support about a third of the party yeah. um, in 2020. So um, I just hope he, uh, <laughs> I'd like to see him update his examples a little bit. I, I think that would serve him well for 2024. Uh, the 1950s and 60s CIA examples, while very accurate, um, he might get a little better following if he updates his uh updates his yeah. analogies a little bit <laughs> so for my audience because i know people will be into this hornberger has written more than one book on the jfk assassination conspiracy and why that's important today and and all of that so that's kind of what what matt's alluding to is like we should see more current day examples like of of the government's inconsistencies and corruption um which i agree with i mean i literally have a framed picture of jfk right here but i still agree with you um <laughs> on that. And yeah, historically speaking, there is a whole history about what happened with our last presidential candidate. It was between Hornberger and and Joe. Obviously Joe won it. And I I didn't find out till much later um the history between like the pe- the people that were upset that he didn't get it. So yeah, it's it's just very interesting that he's in the mix. Um so are you at this point I'm curious if you do have a front runner or no because you're holding out for who we both love. Or no. Um, yeah, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I I really appreciate that Chase is jumping in the race. Yeah. Uh, I think he's only formed an exploratory committee, um, right. is, is how he's uh, phrased it. But um, he he did such a great job in his Senate run in Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. He forced the if you're not familiar, he forced the the runoff election in Georgia um, with as one of the only states out there that do a, a runoff election if someone doesn't get over 50 percent the first time so that created a lot of national media attention uh for him and for georgia yeah. and for ranked choice voting um but he did such a great job when he was given the opportunity to debate the other candidates of, yeah. of presenting the libertarian message in a very compassionate way mm-hmm. um and i don't believe that chase is has a christian background at all and i don't think and i know i don't think joe jorgensen did either but but yet Mm-hmm. the the way in which they presented their message was was such a compassionate yeah compassionate message that i i think a lot of christians could really understand and and uh and relate to yeah i think uh chase is a front runner for sure um i was gonna say something i can't remember what it was i spaced it but yes no i agree oh i was gonna say you were talking about how well he did with his debates he has continued to do well I saw him debate three other libertarians the other day, and he has continued to do well. So he is actually going to be at our state convention. I'm excited to meet him and chat with him. I'd say he's a front runner, but I'll just go ahead and say it. I am still hoping that Justin Amash runs, and I would also really like to see Spike Cohen as well. I don't know if he's even into it anymore. Um, but yes, yeah, I think I think we will wait and see. And and yeah, it's not anything we have to like put a whole lot of energy into yet. We'll take care of our state first, but, um, but yeah, it will be interesting and definitely look up Horn- Hornberger if you're a JFK freak like I am. Um, okay. Switching gears. Uh, well, yeah, kind of switching gears, kind of not. I was going to say, we're kind of going back to the drone. It's all tied together. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I want to ask you what you think about all of the balloons. I know we <laughs> have a totally different perspective on this. But um, the spy balloon, the weather balloons, whatever you want to call it, both from a libertarian perspective and also like when you were talking about like it's important that the FAA keep hobby drones out of commercial airspace, like from that perspective, too, like what are your what's your thoughts on all this balloon business? Yeah, well, learning about these uh, 
Pico balloons, I believe they were they were called that some people think are are what uh, the last three balloons were that were shot down. Um, assuming that they were balloons, they I don't know if they've come out and said that all three of them were were definitively balloons or not. I don't think they found any of them uh, as part oh, of gosh. the <laughs> the problem. Um, yeah, I, I didn't realize it was such a hobby to uh, to launch balloons that could travel from 20 to 40,000 feet um and and fly around the world it looks it looks like fun it's got gps on it they're using ham radio to track it around the mm -hmm. globe um i i haven't taken the time to get into ham radio stuff but um uh, ever since a, a present presentation from a ham radio enthusiast um at a libertarian event um <laughs> three probably three years ago uh it's, it's definitely piqued my interest so i was it, just it, about to I say understand are you, the fun of it but <laughs> are you even a libertarian if you haven't looked into ham radios <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, the the fact that there's these balloons that are, are flying around at the in the in the flight levels where all the commercial aircraft are that have no no control over where they're going uh, was was a bit eye opening uh, for me. So uh, I'm not sure what the, I don't even know what the regulations are if the if the the balloons that small are are exempt from a lot of regulations, but. Um, and just just stop and think where the balloon's going before you you launch it, please. I, I don't want to see a balloon in my in my windshield is is yeah. my <laughs> is yeah. my top concern. But um, I would I would hope I don't know. I almost hope that they weren't balloons that these weren't pico balloons that they shot down because I had the impression and I work with a lot of these people, either current or retired <laughs> military pilots. Um, that the uh, the planes they sent out to identify these things and to, to monitor them before they decided to shoot them down, um, I, I would have hoped that if they were just hobby balloons that they would have been able to identify that before they launched missiles in U.S. airspace. Yeah. I mean, since NORAD was created, nothing had been shot down over U.S. airspace uh, or over North American airspace. Uh, this, this is a truly historic event for us to shoot down three objects in NORAD airspace. And that's a really big deal. And it wouldn't surprise me if government was, was so incompetent that they did mm -hmm. shoot down hobby balloons. But I also think they could easily embrace the hobby balloon story to mm. continue to um, uh, uh, evade transparency. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting because um, I took one meteorology course in college. It was super duper hard, hardest class I ever took. And from the very beginning of the Chinese spy balloon, my friend was like, that's a weather balloon. It's a balloon that you send up with very minimal tracking and you let the winds take it and you see where it goes. It's how we predict where storms are going to go, where winds are going to go, you know? And what happened recently is that there's been a whole line of like, hobbyist weather balloons that have come out supposedly you used to be able to get them at Hobby Lobby and then they ran out and then they were like maybe we shouldn't be selling them here anymore so not sure if that's the case anymore but that's that's supposedly what this last batch of balloons were and I read a whole article of a of a hobbyist weather dude that was like I tried to tell the FBI but they didn't answer <laughs> Or, answer, or take my call or, you know, and so I don't know, it, it, to your point. So obviously my belief is that that's what this is. Um, but to your point, it could also be a very good cover for some other kind of story. Either way, either way, whether it's aliens, China or hobbyists, I think that the way that they handled it, how quick they were to just 
blow it down, use missiles to do that. That's the more, that's the more scary part to me. Not that China's spying on us, not that UFOs are like, hey, here's a little package. Not that hobbyists got balloons. It's the way that our government reacted to it. That's the bigger issue, right? Like that's you, yeah, that's where I'm at. They were very quick on the trigger, which from a monetary perspective, economic perspective, violence perspective is not what i want to see from my government i'm not yeah. surprised but that, well, that's... these last three balloons were were very different from that first one that first one right. was a, a a giant chinese balloon right and but if even... you remember they faced a lot of criticism that it was allowed to enter u.s airspace and why wasn't it shot down first and now you know they, they can't ever win so then they yeah. you know they're like okay well what else is out there we're gonna we're gonna change the filters on on all our sensors and and look for slow moving yeah. small objects they found some then they go shoot them down and they're like now now we're making fun of them because they're shooting things down when two weeks ago we were like why didn't you shoot this one down but but i want to point out that if you go and look at the chinese government's response to the u.s because the u.s did reach out to them before we shot it down they mm -hmm. said at first they said they didn't know and then they checked with their people and it was that it was like a weather department was like, oops, yeah, sorry, China, we we lost track of it. So like, even from the very beginning, China was like, it's a weather balloon. And and now we yeah, have I, these I don't believe that one was, I don't believe that one was a weather balloon. There's a, uh, uh, yeah. where, where are they launching them from is, uh, is, is essentially a military island that yeah, they're, not, they're launching not, them from. Not saying we should believe China any more than we should believe our government, right? <laughs> but to me, yeah. it's just interesting that that's been the thread that's been consistent, which again, yeah. just like on my last podcast episode, we talked about this could all be fake as shit. <laughs> sorry for the, yeah. sorry for the curse word. This could all be a fake cover for something, knowing our government. You can't put it past them, but I still think it's- No, definitely not. It's interesting to it's see. <laughs> definitely fascinating. I'm, I'm glad we seem to have calmed down and we're not shooting anything down lately, so- We can't afford um, it. <laughs> Yeah, we can't afford to keep. Oh, that, that, that never that never stops them. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, but they do know. So if these are weather balloons, they're not your mainstream weather balloons. Those right. those are launched on a daily basis, and when right. we know exactly what those look like, and we know when and where they're being launched, because right. it's all monitored Tracked. and regulated so yeah 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 so definitely i i feel like there's just like the drone business i feel like uh the hobbyist weather balloon whatever there's there's about to be some regulations because you guys couldn't keep your act yeah. together um so yeah <laughs> so um okay so last thing i want to hit on we only have a few minutes left i just want to pitch the event that we're both going to be at on march 4th um and then i want to have you make sure you tell everyone where they can find you uh whether they're interested in hiring you working for you talking to you about libertarianism christianity all of that good stuff stuff. So um, the event on March 4th is going to be at, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name of the venue. Do um, the venue? I don't remember the name of the restaurant. Our okay. our house. Yes, um, our house. Okay. Maybe changing restaurants too, but it's at 39th okay. and State Line um, okay. by KU Med. Yes. And so it's being hosted by the cannabis, uh, Kansas Cannabis Coalition. It's uh, it, it's an, it's going to be a networking event and then an event to just uh, raise awareness. Um, uh about the the we have fully recreational uh cannabis legal on one side of state line road and um complete prohibition on on the yes. kansas side so we're going to line up on both sides of state line road um at the restaurant we're going to be making making signs and that type of thing so they're kind of doing a uh it's it's basically a, a large... patients and can patients and criminals approach to it yes. so 
wear green or wear orange. Um, orange will kind of be on the, the criminal side, on the Kansas side. And, and then the green uh, signs and, and outfits will be on the, on the Missouri side. And uh, I'll be there filming the event uh, with our drone. We'll have some people there filming it um, uh, with uh, ground-based uh, videography and photography. Mm -hmm. And a production company uh, that uh, that's involved in the Cannabis Coalition will be putting together some uh, promotional videos to help uh, try to get the point through to the legislators that um, it's time for medical cannabis to get passed in Kansas. Um, yeah. Of course, we want more than just medical cannabis as, as libertarians. Yes. We'd like to see full decriminalization and just get the government out of it entirely. But um, this is this is the necessary first step in, in Kansas for sure. Yes. So I'll link to that event in the show notes as well. And before we run out of time, um, you guys obviously all know where to find me at the Mama Marketer on everything. Matt, where can people reach out to you if they have more questions? Uh, for drone stuff, uh, reach out at bluenosearial.com, bluenosearial.com. Um, if you want to, you can search Blue Nose Overland Park to find us on Facebook. Um, my political stuff, you can find me. I run a page called A Kansas Libertarian Perspective on Facebook. And you can find me at Matt Clark, Kansas uh, on Twitter as well. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah, we're about to wrap. It's going to cut us off any minute now. So thank you so much for this. Um, I will give you some information and uh, let you know when it's live and everything. Otherwise, we'll go ahead and just say bye to everyone. Okay. All Sounds right. Good. Thanks for listening, thanks, everyone. Yep. Bye. Bye.